Mike, you want to put up that first slide? A few years ago, we went down to the Spencer County Fair, and we, we were to Larson's, and as we're walking around the fairgrounds, there's this bungee cord thing. And Glenn and I, adventurers, decided, that looks really fun. We're standing there watching it, and we walked away. And we walked around, and we came back to it, and Glenn and I are kind of, yeah, let's do that. And our wives are like, you guys. You know, they figured there's no cord strong enough for either one of us. And we're looking at it, and then we're, we're deciding that we're ready to do this, we're ready to go, and we even bought the t-shirts afterwards. And they don't fit. <laughs> but we bought them. And we're watching, and one of the last ones I watched before we decided to go pay our money and start getting harnessed up was a young kid. I don't know, maybe 13 years old. You know, And they're up there, and they're soaring through the air, kind of like that. And that's how I pictured me. You know, getting up there, getting to the edge, and just flying like that. The reality was more like the next slide. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> that was after I got enough courage to actually jump. Because I got up there, and I took off my glasses, which was helpful, because then I couldn't see very well. And, it, and you know, when you go out, he says, just go out to the edge, hang your toes over the edge, and, and then just fall forward. And as he's telling me this, I'm thinking, i got to get off this thing. I'm climbing back down the way I got up. And then all I could think of was, tell that little kid, and I'm going to crawl off this thing? I mean, all of my excitement, all of my enthusiasm was just draining out of my body, and as it was leaving, fear was filling it up. <laughs> just for a silly bungee cord. I mean, everybody else was doing it just fine. Well, finally, I fell forward and went off. You hit the bottom, and you bounce back and forth, and it, and it was like, ah. I survived. <laughs> Got done. And I, think, I think it was Cindy, maybe it was Karen, said, you guys going to do that again? I, I don't think I'm ever doing that again. <laughs> and I haven't done that again. But, it, you know, when I, when I climbed up there, it looked so easy. I'm watching them, and, and God, there was, seemed to be no doubt, no hesitancy. Everybody was confident in the cords, confident in the equipment. They'd get up there, and they'd just fly right off, and they'd be bouncing in the air, and it looked so fun. And, and then I got up there, and all of a sudden, all of the certainty disappeared, and uncertainty started to creep in. All of the what-ifs. Will this thing really work? What if I snap the cord? Will the harness stay on me? I'm a lot bigger than that 13-year-old. And fear started to creep in. And the title of my message, actually, is The Excitement of Uncertainty. You know what? We can live. You know, how many times do you hear somebody come and share an amazing testimony of what God has done in their life, where they, they said yes to God and decided to do something, something a little out of the ordinary. And God just showed up and blessed what they were doing. And it's like, wow. And you're listening to their testimony, and you go, geez, how come I never get any of that? How come I never have to get to have any of those exciting things happen? How come I never get to see God do a miracle? He always does a miracle over here with them. Well, I want to offer this as one reason. Because most of us don't do anything when uncertainty is facing us. Fear creeps in. You know, this is kind of the third sermon in this series, I guess if you want to call it that. And the first series dealt with seizing the moments. 
We have moments that we can never recapture. And every time there's a moment, there's a choice we can make. And each choice we make is going to determine what's coming in the future. It has an impact. Some of the choices seem kind of insignificant. Some of them are huge. We don't even know how huge some of them are until after the fact. Because they have the capacity to change our life and the life of someone else when we choose. And last week I just said, you know, part of the problem is we don't do anything. So my challenge last week was do something. And then all week I was just a little bit nervous thinking about what I'd been encouraging you all to do. Do something. So this week as I was preparing my message, I had to battle some of those familiar fears. What if something I'm saying causes real problems in someone's life? What if they say, well, Pastor Mike said do something. By golly, I'm going to do it. Remember this. There was a caveat in there that's critical. And it was in Psalms 37.4, which I'll probably mention later again, where it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When I delight myself in Him, when I am seeking Him, when I am saying, Lord, it's all You, not me. I want more of You. I'm going to surrender to You. You are so much smarter than me. You know the past. You know the present. You know the future. I'm going to just surrender to You. When I delight myself in Him, begin to understand who He is, His holiness, His righteousness, His love, His servant's heart. When I begin to get that, and that's who I become. My heart becomes His heart. His desires become my desires. He's giving me the desires of my heart. And then anything I ask, because it lined up with Him, He'll give me. So do something. But if you're not delighting yourself in the Lord, and you go off half-cocked deciding to do something, it isn't on me. And don't blame God. Because we can make some choices out of our flesh that we're convinced we want. And oh my goodness, the consequences are painful. And remember, as I said that first week, two weeks ago, we are all time travelers. But we can't go back in time and change anything. We can look back there, hopefully learn something from it. We can't go back. But we are time travelers into the future. And the choices that we're making and the things that we do in those moments are going to determine the future. You know, I shared last week about responding to the call to become pastor of victory. And I, I shared my insecurities and my fear of failure and fear of rejection. And, and there was a lot of uncertainties. First time the board asked me to consider it, I said no. Two years later, they, the opportunity presented itself again, and I said, yes. I'm not sure one way or the other whether I miss God or not. I, I know I felt called the two years previous. That might mean I was afraid to say yes. I don't know for sure, but in God's grace. But there was uncertainties. And I went into that, and it's been one of the greatest blessings of my life with the mistakes and all that I've made. We went through this same thing. I, I may be more than some of the other elders. I don't know. Their faith was maybe stronger than mine when we were in the process of building the building we're sitting in. Boy, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at how many dollars we're going to spend. And you know, what if, what if, what if, what if? Do you believe the Lord wants us to do this? Oh, yeah. But anybody ever say it that way? 
I'm sure the Lord called me, but... Oh, there's that hungry homeless person. They could use some food, but geez, they might hurt somebody, or me especially. If we know what the Lord says we're to do from His Word, to love, to serve, to share the Gospel, just do it. Do something. You're, in, you're doing what He wants. Building the building was one of those things. So the title is The Excitement of Certainty and Revealing God Through Our Actions. You know what? When we reveal, when we, when we act in those divine moments, God shows up and acts, and we're revealing Him. We're revealing His heart. We're revealing His passion. So I'm going to go back a little bit to the story of Jonathan. And again, I know some of you weren't here the last two weeks or you missed one or the other. The little context is a story when Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul, who was king of Israel, and there's the Philistines, the enemy of Israel, and there's going to be a battle. And God had already told King Saul through a prophet, he says, I'm going to use you and through you, we're going to get rid of the Philistines, you're going to inhabit the land, and you're going to take care of them. It's a done deal. There's your calling. There's your mission. Do it. Well, he's got all the people together, and all of a sudden they see the Philistines amassing their forces. The Bible said 30,000 chariots, 600 horsemen, and more people than, the, than you can imagine. The sands of the sea. More. And, and all of a sudden, what did the Hebrews do? They started to run and hide. It says they were hiding in the caves. It was, it's like they're digging holes and crawling in them. Thickets, they were hiding there. Saul was down to 600 men. So he's outnumbered 100 to 1, 500 to 1, maybe 1,000 to 1. And he isn't going to do anything. Well, he's waiting and he sees all his people leaving and he decides, i got to go to the Lord. He, he decides he's going to be the priest. God said, no, you're not going to be the priest. You're going to wait until Samuel comes. He decided no. So he went from being impatient, did his own thing, and things got bad. Jonathan on the other side. I wish I could tell more of the story. I like it so much. But <clears throat> there was only two swords in the camp of Israel. The Philistines had taken care of all of the people that worked with metals. They were all armed with swords and spears. Israel, the Hebrews, had two swords. Jonathan had one and King Saul had one. And Jonathan decides, you know what? God has called us to this mission he has told us we're going to defeat the Philistines, and we're sitting up here doing nothing. That's ridiculous. I'm going to do something. He was going to do something in accordance with what he knew was the will of God. He knew it was God's plan to defeat the Philistines. But he knew that the Hebrew people had to go out and fight the battle. God was going to give them a victory, but they were going to have to fight the battle. That's a good little thing to remember. God will give the victory. We are going to have to fight some battles. So, bringing us up to that point, I'm going to read in 1 Samuel 14. And it says, So both of them, both of them being Jonathan and his armor bearer, they decide, Jonathan decides, we're going to do something. He says, So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. And if you had been here last week, I said, you know, here was their military plan. This was their strategy. Let's crawl out there. We're really outnumbered. Now let's reveal ourselves to them. And then let's hope they don't kill us. That was pretty much his plan. So it says, they reveal themselves. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan, his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. 
So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Because when he decided to step out and reveal himself, he said, if they tell us to come up, we're going to go because God's going to give them to us. If they say, stay there, we're going to come down, we're probably going to die. Pretty much what the paraphrase would be. But they say, come on up. So he says, climb up. The Lord has given them. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet as he's climbing up this wall with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in the area of about a half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and in the field, and those in the outposts and the raiding parties, and the ground shook. There was an earthquake, and a panic was sent by God. That's what's happening here. Jonathan was facing a whole lot of uncertainty. He knew what God wanted him to do, and he knew he'd promised him a victory. But that's it. But he said, we got to do something. I'm going to do something in accordance with what I do know about God's heart here. I'm going to do something. He says we're to engage and take over. So he comes up with that brilliant plan. We're going to go out, we're going to crawl out there, but then we're going to stand up and say, here we are. And up to that point, he didn't know. And notice he had to act on what he knew before he laid out this little test and says, if they say this, we're going up. If they say this, we're not going up. We're in trouble. And when he did act, God did a miracle. He provided an amazing victory in delivering his people. And we can see this similar pattern throughout history. Actions determine the outcomes. And they're not always positive. Even when God's will and God's purpose was made perfectly clear. When Moses delivered Israel out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, what was God's will? Set them free. Take them into the promised land. They get to the promised land, they send in some spies, and ten of them come back and say, oh my goodness, there are giants in the land. All they could see was the giants. They said, we can't go in there. They knew God's call. They knew God's mission. But they were afraid to fight the battle. For 40 years, they walked around in the wilderness because of that fear. There was a divine moment, a divine choice. The flip side of that, in that same scenario, were Joshua and Caleb. They were two of those 12 spies. They saw the same giants. But when they saw the giants, all they thought was, battle's coming, and we're going to win. Because God had promised them the land. They were ready to go in. If there were giants, it's time to go to war. Not time to turn tail and run. If we know it's God's will, and if we know it's God's purpose, and it's His heart. We don't know all the details. There's all this uncertainty. We even see Joshua and Caleb, and Caleb especially stepping up. Years later, we're going to divvy up the land. Caleb says, I want the land where they're at because we're going to go in and finish them off. The warrior spirit in him. I love it. What a spirit Caleb had. God would give them the victory, no doubt in their mind, but he wasn't going to fight the battle for them. When you know it's God, there's often going to be a battle. 
Jonathan, in the scenario that I had just laid out, he had a conviction that it was time to move forward. God had already charged the army with their mission. It's time to go. So he did. And once he got that sign of confirmation from God after he stepped out and took the risk, he saw that confirmation as a sign, it's time to go to war. He took his one sword, and it says after they climbed up there, he knocked him down, and it sounds like, the Bible says, his armor bearer came behind him killing a whole bunch of people. I don't know what with. Maybe a big rock. But it says 20 of them are killed. God gives him a victory. And then it expanded from there. You know, when, when Jonathan saw and heard them say, come on up here, he knew that that was a sign, that was a call to experience victory. But he also discovered, and probably was well aware, that it was also a call to danger. It was a call or an invitation into war. But the victory was guaranteed. You know, sometimes, quite often actually, you may hear people say this, well, you know, I think I know what God's saying, but I'm going to throw out a fleece. Anybody ever heard that before? I'm going to put out a fleece to see if God really wants me to do this. It comes from the story of Gideon in the Bible. Now, I'm going to read a few verses, but I can't tell you the whole story. But the Midianites were a vicious people, and they were tormenting the Hebrew people. And they would come right at the time the harvest was just about right, and they'd destroy everything, destroy the crops, steal the crops, kill the animals, whatever. And this just be going on and on and on. And finally, the Lord shows up and speaks to Gideon. And he's pretty much hiding from the Midianites. And in Judges 6, verse 12, it says this, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon looked anything except a mighty warrior. But that's what the Lord said. Notice the confidence that came rushing into Gideon when he heard those words. But sir, but sir, he says, if the Lord is with us, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and he's put us into the hand of the Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon's asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. We often use, and then he goes on. I mean, that wasn't enough. Then he goes on and says, Lord, how about if you do this just to show me you really mean it? And then he goes on and says, well, how about if you do this to show me you really mean it? How about if I put this fleece of wool out, and, and in the morning I wake up and there's dew on it? Then I'll know what you mean. He did that. Well, Lord, how about we do that again? And this time there can be dew everywhere, but not there. Okay, he went on and on and on. I'm not sure that that's the model we should be using when we're deciding whether to trust God or not. It's the wrong model. If you want to use that story for anything, it should be to show you and me the patience and the grace that God has towards us. It's not a model that we should follow. You know, I've put out many a fleece in my life, I have to admit. 
And I, I, God lets us do that because he's patient. He's merciful. But sometimes, you know, we hear this, let's, let's wait on the Lord thing. And I'm wondering who's waiting for who. Think on that. There you go. Who's waiting for who here? When God says go, what would be a good thing to do? Go. When God says go, go. Go in the peace, go in the power, go in the love of Jesus. He's given us all that. It's there for us. It's ours. You know what it is? It's a trust issue. You know, he told Gideon, go in the strength you have. Go with whatever you got. I mean, if you're like me, you'll sometimes say this to the Lord, but Lord, not me, send someone else. They're way more talented, gifted, smarter, whatever than me. And he says, no, 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 no. You go in the strength you have. I'm sending you out where you're going to be way over your head because then you got to trust me and I get to show up and get the glory. I'll come through. Go in the strength you have. And he says that to Gideon and Gideon comes right back with, but Lord... And then he finally says, I'll be with you. And it still wasn't enough. Sometimes with us, it's the same way. We, we aren't, what we're questioning isn't us and our ability so much as, do we really trust God? If we know his heart and we know his purposes, know his plan, do we really trust God? And I'm not talking about going and killing a bunch of Philistines. I'm talking about when all of a sudden you see somebody who needs help, but you're busy. I'm talking about when somebody needs food and you don't want to spend any money. I'm talking about when God says, don't worry and fret. Trust me, and I'd rather worry and fret. Those are all times we need to trust God. Who is he? When God, most of the time, God begins with go, and you and I have the tendency to begin with wait. Wait. How different would your life look and my life look? How different would be the testimonies we could share about God and what God's done if we started with go instead of wait? If we started with go. You know, when he gives the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, what's the first word he says? Go. What if we actually took that as an instruction and permission to actually go? And let's go till he stops us instead of wait and wait and wait. How different would our lives look? Boy, I think I can look back and if I'm not careful, regret and condemnation can creep in, but I look back and think, God, what if I would have responded quicker? What if I'd have responded this way, differently? What if when God prompted in me to pray for healing for that person, and I was afraid to do it because I'd look stupid, what if I'd have really did it? And he healed him. My faith would soar, and I could tell a testimony of the goodness of God, and he'd receive glory. Instead, I'd look back and say, I blew that. What if? What if? There are many times, or there are some times, maybe is a better way to put it, when God calls you and me to a specific task or a specific assignment. But even without that, we have a clear mission and a clear, a clear calling from God. 
without that specific go do this, go do that, go there. Some of the things that you and I are specifically called to. This is your mission. You want to know what you're called to and you haven't got a clue. Write these down. You'll do fine. Just go. You and I are called to represent him on the earth today. We are called to represent him. Go and represent him. You and I are called to be his witnesses. Go and talk about him. Tell people about him. You have his permission. Go do it. You and I are called to make disciples. We're called to do that. Anything you can do, we're called to make disciples. But what if they're the wrong person? What if this is the wrong time? What if I say something wrong? What if I make a mistake? Well, get over it. You will make a mistake. But you have permission. We are called to serve as ambassadors of reconciliation. We are called to reconnect people with God. We are called to reconcile people with other people. We're called to do that. It's part of your calling. We're called to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. You have God's permission to love people. Go do it. We're called to serve others as Christ served us. That's part of our calling. That's part of our commissioning. You don't have to wonder. Again, it makes me ask that question. I wonder who's waiting for who here. I think I'm waiting for God, and I think most of the time God's waiting for me. And as soon as I do something, he goes, all right, showtime. I'm going to glorify myself. I'm going to build the kingdom. Now, some of you may be a step ahead of me, and you're already going to that scripture that says, wait upon the Lord. I went there because I wanted to wait upon the Lord. And I discovered something interesting. I went into a a, a concordance and I I hit the computer and I wanted to see all the scriptures where the word wait was in there. There's a whole bunch of them on waiting on tables and things like that. Then there's a whole bunch of them that the word wait is used and it should be or could be translated trust in, have confidence in, test him. And finally, I found one that says, just sit there and wait. One. And you know what they were supposed to wait for? Acts. Verse 1, or chapter 1. What were they supposed to wait for? The Holy Spirit. And as soon as the Holy Spirit came, what were they supposed to do? Go. Guess what? You have the Holy Spirit if you're a born-again believer. That's the only place I could find wait. That means just stand by and don't do something. Wait. And even then they were praying, fellowshipping. So I think we are waiting upon the Lord and we are using it to cover up our lack of faith, our lack of trust, our lack of confidence in God. He wants us to get off our duff and do something. There's a lot of amens on that one. Thank you, Paul. (laughs) You know what? When we know it's God's heart and we know it's His plan, we can go with confidence. But you know what? You're going to make mistakes. But listen to this. Make good mistakes. What makes a good mistake? I'm doing what I think God wants to do because it's His heart. Most of the mistakes I make are are contrary to that one. We have received the Holy Spirit. Let's go. 
Don't live in fear that you're going to do or say the wrong thing. I may do the, say the wrong thing a bazillion times, but if my goal is to do things that he's commissioned me to do, I may, I may make the wrong approach in, in, in sharing and trying to disciple someone or leading someone to Christ or, or you name it. I could make a bazillion mistakes. I do. But I'm trying to do what's his heart. They're good mistakes. In the Bible, we see lots of guys and gals who made good mistakes. But there's also all those stories about the bad mistakes. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, your mistakes will be good ones. Work from the go instead of the wait. God will stop you. Anybody, anybody just responded and said, I know that's God's heart, I'm going to go and I'm going to try and I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden you got a stop sign. I mean a true stop sign. He stopped you. I remember a time I was in Costa Rica. We were out in a small village and we were doing a church conference. I was traveling with Earl Kellum, those of you who remember Earl. And it was time for, we were praying for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we were laying hands on people and all of a sudden I had a few people where demons decided to show up. For some of you that don't understand that, just turn your ears off for a second. I prayed for a young girl about 16 years old. Turned out it was a pastor's daughter. She fell to the floor, foaming at the mouth. Demon possession. Cast out demons in the name of Jesus. It was astounding. All right. Testimony, witness. My faith is rising. I go over to another woman, and she's there, and the pastor's wife says, pray for this woman. I go, okay. I start to put out my hand, and the Lord stopped me. I just knew he stopped me. I didn't do it. And as soon as I looked at her and said, in the name of Jesus, she fell to the floor. If this doesn't fit your theology, you'll just have to figure it out some other way. And she started slithering like this across the floor. Now, I'm not very brilliant, but I kind of knew that was demonic. So I went over and I took the pastor's wife with me and I got down on my knees and I was going to pray for her and I was going to put my hand on her and I heard as clear as could be, not audibly, don't touch her. She's into witchcraft. So I stood up and I asked the pastor's wife. I said, do you know this lady? She says, yes, she lives with her sister and her mother down the street. Is she a Christian who goes to this church? Nope. Her mom and her and her sister are all three into witchcraft. I said, the Lord has stopped me. You need to minister her, to her. She needs to accept Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior before you're ever to deliver her from these demons. He stopped me. But you know what? I'd rather do the go and let him stop me than me go, jeez, oh, I've never seen that before. What do I do? I think I'll do nothing. Or I think I'll wait for a guarantee to success. What do you do about the giants that you and I face when you're about to go and do something? You know what? To face these divine moments and make the choice, you've got to be willing to face the giants. They're going to come. You know, when we're doing things God wants us to do, we are trying to increase his kingdom here on earth. Guess what? There is a king or prince of this earth, the prince or king of darkness, who doesn't want God's kingdom to advance. He wants the kingdom of darkness to advance. When we start doing the goes, he's going to get upset. He's going to try to put closed doors in front of us. If you're looking for signs always from God that are going to guarantee your success, I will guarantee you this. You will sit doing nothing most of the time, and the rest of the time you're going to be retreating. Because the guarantees of success, are the signs that we're looking for, aren't going to be there because we're in warfare. Do we know and trust God? 
Matter of fact, a lot of the times when, when the enemy's really rising up, you ought to know something. You're getting close to breaking through. God's about to do something amazing. I don't care whether it's unemployment. I don't care whether you're facing down demonic possession. It doesn't matter. When it's getting worse and darker and darker, the enemy's trying to stop us. And sometimes we confuse walls, closed doors, as God's saying no. God can't close doors. I ask him to do that all the time. God either open it or close it. But sometimes I come up to a closed door. You ever heard the line, when God closes a door, he opens a window? I don't know where that's found. Because in my life, I know most of the time the door closes and the window closes and it feels like I'm trapped in a hallway. But I know here it's a God thing he's called me to do. Sometimes you've got to kick the wall down and go through. And God shows up. Jonathan's standing out there. Here we are, enemies. We're outnumbered a zillion to one. I think that's a door being shut, Jonathan. Go back to your tent and go to sleep. Uh Uh-uh, we're going to show them who we are, and then we're going to climb up that hill, and we're going to kill them all. And God's going to show up. A lot of times in our life, that's what he wants to do with us. You know, when we run into those difficult challenges, a few things happen. One, we discover who we are. We discover our fears in a hurry. We discover insecurities in a hurry. We get a good look at our own heart. It suddenly gets revealed to us, am I in this for what I can get, or am I in this for what I can give? When we face those challenges, you'll see who you are in the mirror. But you'll also see who God is. You'll see that he's trustworthy, that he is God, that he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere present God. When we seize those divine moments, conflict's going to come. I'm going to close with one other aspect of what I I see in this story about Jonathan. And I think it's true for us. When you or I seize a divine moment and we take action, there's a very real possibility that we are going to bring others into the presence of God and to his purposes. Sometimes all other people need to see is someone stepping out with faith and they're ready then to join in. I'm going to read in 1 Samuel 14, starting at verse 18. Saul said to Ahihah, that's a priest. He's talking to the priest. Finally, he's saying, let's pray. Well, Saul, if you read this story, Saul prays when he should be acting. He's acting when he should be praying. He just doesn't get many things right here. And he says, bring the ark of God. We're going to pray. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. Why? Because Jonathan was out there killing people. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. I'll paraphrase. Now's not the time to pray. We've got to go to work. It's time to take action. We'll talk maybe next week about when prayer actually holds you back. Sometimes we're going to pray about it and pray about it and pray about it and pray about it. And boy, are we spiritual, but we don't do anything. We need to pray, hear the words of God, and go. Okay, so, withdraw your hands. Saul and his men assembled, went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion. They were striking each other with their swords. 
those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines, and other ones, the ones that had joined the Philistine camp and had gone up with them to their camp, they went over to the Israelites who were with, with Saul and Jonathan. And then when all the Israelites who were hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So the Lord rescued Israel that day and the battle moved on beyond Bethaven. When God made his plan and purposes clear to the Hebrew people, including Jonathan, he'd already made his plan clear. When Jonathan acted, finally, all of a sudden, God shows up in that divine moment. God moves miraculously. All of a sudden, Saul and the people that are with him, the few that were left with him, the 600, they decided, let's join him. And then all of a sudden, the, the ones that had been compromising and living in the Philistine camp said, I think it's time to switch sides and get back where we belong. They joined in with the Hebrew people. And then finally, those that were hiding in the caves and the thickets decided to join in. Jonathan stepped out and he influenced other people to join in to what God was doing. Where and to what is God calling you to take action? I wish I had more time, but I don't. When God calls you and I to action, sometimes it's something this simple. Walk in love. Live in my peace. Let my joy fill your heart. Follow my commands. They're all calls to action. They're divine moments. They're choices we make. Sometimes it might be go to that person and lay hands on them. Pray for healing. Sometimes it may be, I want you to, to quit your job and go to the far ends of the earth. Sometimes. But it's not always those great big things we think of as great big things. Sometimes responding to the call, go love that person. They need a hug and they need a smile. May save a life. Change a life completely. We don't know until we do what God calls us to do. What is he calling you or I to do? Despite the uncertainty, we need to step out and act in those things that we know are God's heart. Take advantage of those divine moments. In the last minute or so here, I want to just say this. We all have faced a divine moment, and we've made a choice, at least one. And that was when the Holy Spirit was wooing your heart, drawing you to Jesus Christ and giving you the opportunity to make a choice to either accept him as your Lord and Savior or reject him. That divine moment will change your life and the lives of people around you forever. Hopefully most all of us have done that, but there's unlike, it would be very shocking if there was anyone, wasn't someone in here who has never made that choice. I want to encourage you right now, if the Lord's speaking to your heart, you need to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ dying on a cross, and you need to accept that the power of God raised him from the dead for you and me. You make that choice. Act on it. It'll change your life forever. Change the life of your family. It'll change the life of the people you influence. Let's close in prayer. Father, I just thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to be our guide, and so much more. God, I pray we would be sensitive. Give us ears to hear your voice. Give us ears to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Give us grace to act on that, to get up and do something. Do what it is that it's on your heart. Lord, that we would be able to love the unlovable, that we would be able to help those in need. God, that we would be able to walk in the love and the joy and the peace, the contentment that Jesus Christ died for us to have. God, I praise you and thank you for the victory that is guaranteed 
and I ask for your grace as we go into those battles to claim that victory. Lord, we acknowledge that we are facing an enemy. Your word teaches us about spiritual warfare. God, I thank you that we have authority in the name of Jesus over demons and evil spirits as we walk in your authority. And Lord, I pray now as we go our different directions today that you would go before us, that we would be following your leading, that we would be alert for those divine moments that you're going to give us each day, every day. And you give us grace to act on them. That you'd be glorified in all of it. And in all of these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen.